I rearranged my notes here a little bit. Oh, I, I haven't started it yet. Oh, okay. <sighs> I hate this. You ready, Ted? Good morning. I want to thank you for joining us, uh, Rodrigo Christian Fellowship, on our website, or maybe you've joined us through the Facebook uh, account, but uh, welcome. And uh, today we are uh, finishing up the first chapter of Ruth in our series of going through the book of Ruth. And so we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. And as we open, would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to get together. We ask, Lord, that as we go through your word together, you would open our hearts and our minds to it. No matter where each of us are in the sense of our walk with you, we know that your word can, can minister to each and every one of us. And we pray that through your Holy Spirit, indeed, that would happen. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to get started with this, what I'd like to do is a, a brief review uh, of the first part of, of uh, chapter 1, uh, which was from the message last week that uh, Brad Gill gave us. And uh, it starts out with the reality of when this was written, and it was written during the time of Judges. And uh, this time of Judges was a... Uh, a difficult time in the history of Israel. Uh, it was a very much up and down time for them in their spiritual walk with uh, with the Lord over a period of uh, quite a few years. And I'd like to read the very last verse of the book of Judges, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, give you a kind of a picture of, of the times that this was uh, going through. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, you can imagine what that would be like. Everybody doing right in his own eyes. And and that was a way of expressing whatever they felt like doing, whatever they wanted to do. And so, during the time of Judges, what would happen was that Israel would fall away into... uh, a point where everybody was doing their own thing and and uh, defining right for himself and frequently getting involved in idolatry and falling away from God. And there was just absolutely no unity, absolute chaos. God would send judgment to draw Israel back. Uh, a judgment, a punishment. Uh, it could be an enemy that they would have to wrestle with. Uh, it could be uh, a drought. Or as, as we see in the case of, of the book of Ruth, a famine. And, and uh, Israel would repent, return to the Lord, and God would raise up a, a leader, call him a judge, uh, to lead or to li- and, and to deliver them and to take them back onto the path of, of uh, righteousness. So uh, keep that in mind as we're going through this, that this book is written in a time of Judges. And that it was a time of, of uh, that, that God was actually bringing a, a time of punishment or judgment uh, against Israel when it starts. Um, Paul's description, by the way, take a, a little detour here. Paul's description of, of times like this is a lot more graphic. 
uh, than, than what I just explained to you. And I thought better than rather than trying to just explain it, that I would read from chapters uh, from chapter one. Uh, well, it, it begins with verse 18, but I think I'll just go to verse 28 and pick it up there. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so what Paul is saying is that at a time that people are falling away from God, they take their own path, do whatever they choose to do, and whatever, again, as we said earlier, whatever seems right in their own eyes. So as we pick up this, we we start in the book of of, uh, Ruth. And if we look at chapter 1 and 2, or I mean chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we see that it uh, gives us a clue as to one of the times that was going on. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab and his wife and his two sons. There was a famine in the land. That, that picture of everybody doing what they think is right. And this man is now going to do what he thinks is right. And it says that uh, he, uh, he was of Bethlehem in Judah and he decided to sojourn in the country of Moab uh, along with his wife and his two sons. Moab is on the east side of the Dead Sea, the lower section of it. And uh, what you need to understand is that uh, of all the things that you can do, Moab... It was one of the, the it was an enemy of the, the people of Israel. It was an enemy of God. And he went, they went there for food because of the famine. So someone had decided what to do in his own eyes would be right. And let's read a little bit further. It says, the name of this man, verse 2 of chapter 1, the name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And then their two sons, they, they go to, to Moab. So Elimelech has decided that this is the best way for him to take care of his family while there's famine. By the way, again, as I said, a famine would be a point where God was bringing uh, a, a time of, of judgment uh, against Israel to draw them back into him. Elimelech's solution to this was to go to the land of an enemy of God, an enemy of Israel, to solve his problem. He's doing this in his own thinking, what he thinks is right. But what he's actually doing is he's pulling himself out from underneath the covering of God and the promises of God, including the fact that he's from Bethlehem of the the area of Judah. Uh, uh, His land was a promise from God. It was a a gift from God, and he's pulling himself away from that and out from underneath the covering of the judges and trying to do his own thing. So basically what he has said is, I'm going to fix this problem myself. He doesn't bring it before God. He just simply says, I'm going to take care of this. He takes Naomi and his sons, and off to Moab they go.
while they're in Moab, they are there for at least ten years. And during that time, uh, his sons come of age to marry, and so they marry uh, Moabite women. Uh, one's name is uh, Orpah, and the other one is Ruth, which this is the book about Ruth. And during that ten-year period of time, Elimelech and his sons die. So Naomi is left without a husband, without her sons. She has no one to come along and protect or support her. And so she's in a dilemma. What do I do? Uh, and so she has heard that things are going pretty well back in Bethlehem, back in Israel. And in fact, in verse 6 of chapter 1, uh, it reads, Then uh, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return to, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of, of, of Moab, where she had been working, that the Lord had visited His people, Israel, and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi hears that things are going well back in Israel. She decides that uh, she's got family there. She would do better to go back to Israel and, and try to survive there. And so that's her choice. In the process of this, if you would read on, you would see that she decides to free her daughter-in-laws in the sense that she could say, you're not obligated to me any longer. Uh, you can go back to your own homes to your own families. And uh, Oprah decides to go, but Ruth decides that she wants to stay with Naomi. And this is what she says to Naomi. Uh, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you, Naomi, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So, Again, Naomi hears the blessings that are going on in Israel. God is blessing Israel. And again, it says, it says very clearly, the Lord has visited His people. And that's a covenant phrase, visited, meaning God is blessing them and giving them food. And Naomi goes on to Bethlehem. And Ruth goes with her. That brings us to today's passage in chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. In verse 19, it says, Naomi returns to Bethlehem with Ruth. And, and they came to Bethlehem, and, when the, and, when the, and the whole town, it says, was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? This whole town being stirred because of them is, in a sense, uh, everybody was talking about it. Look, Naomi is coming. But it, it's an interesting phrase here. Is this Naomi? The sense was kind of like, it looks like her. But is it her? They seem to recognize, but something's different. 
I think you might say, well, yeah, obviously she's been gone for over 10 years. Uh, that might be something that would cause, obviously, a difference. Uh, but she's returned with no husband, no sons. Unusual for a woman who has a, who has a husband or, or, or male sons in her family to travel unprotected. So she has no husband or sons with her, and she's traveling, traveling with a Moabite companion, Ruth. And so Naomi replies to them, verse 20, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, the word Naomi means pleasant. The word Mara means bitter. Uh, When I first saw that word, it took me back to Exodus where they were coming upon the, the, the source of water and they tasted it and it was bitter water. And they called it the place of Mara. And so this idea of Mara, bitter waters. And she said, don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has uh, testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She says, I went away full. Now, full here means that she went away with a complete, I think in this sense, a complete family. She obviously didn't go away with lots of food or resources because they were in the middle of a famine when they left. But she she went away full, meaning her family was full. She had her husband. She had her sons. And it says, the Lord has brought me back empty. My husband, my sons are gone. They've died. She doesn't say it here, but I believe that's what she is saying. I am now empty. I was full. Now I'm empty. Someone might say, well, wait a minute. You have Ruth. But at this point, when she brings Ruth back with her, Ruth is actually more of an obligation, uh, more of a a burden than, than a blessing at this point in the sense that she is the one that's going to have to figure out how to take care of and provide for her. She has invited, you know, she has brought her back with her. And so now it's her responsibility. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has tested against me or testified against me? What this implies is that. God has brought charges against her. Now, we have to go back to looking at this. There is a sense that here of, of, of saying that them going to, to on their own to Moab, uh, they took everything into their own hands. They went out from underneath God's covering and, and His care. And in the process, her husband and her sons die. She's saying... God has brought charges against me. She's taken my husband and my my sons away from me. He's taken taken them away from me. He's brought calamity, judgment upon me. Again, I am without my family. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem from Moab. Think about it. 
She had nowhere else to go. This was it. She needed to return home to her homeland. She didn't return to, to get God's blessing. She didn't return. She just simply had nowhere else to go. Naomi does see God's hand, but she only sees it as one who has brought charges and judgment against her. I want to suggest to you, by the time we finish the book of Ruth, in our journey together through this, this book, we will see the truth of what God was doing here. Brad had mentioned uh, last week the, 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 the term scarlet thread. And I wanted to uh, bring that back into the picture. The scarlet thread is that picture of going from the Old Testament through the New Testament from Genesis to the book of Revelation and establishing that from the very beginning to the very end of the Word of God, there is a, 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 a scarlet thread or sometimes it's called the crimson thread that runs all the way through. And what it is, is the picture of Christ and His coming to deliver the people of, of God, God's people, God's children, uh, and, and bring them into eternal life. And it starts way back in Genesis chapter 3. I think it's the 15th verse. Let's take a quick look at that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. See if I nailed it right. Yes, this is where judgment is coming across uh, uh, upon uh, the, the serpent and upon uh, Eve and upon Adam for uh, their, their uh, sin in the garden. And so, uh, the, in verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. In verse 15, I will put enmity or, 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 or uh, a, a sense of division between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, and she shall bruise your head, he her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In that picture it says that the seed of a woman is going to bruise uh, uh, the head of Satan. That means to take control and destroy his authority and power. It says you're going to bruise Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, which means to bring him down. But the implication is he must rise up again because he's going to conquer you. And so the first uh, picture here of, of, of the victory of Christ over, over sin and death. And, and so keep that in mind is that that's the beginning of the scarlet thread. Well, this scarlet thread runs through, through Scripture. And in the book of Ruth, it's going to be seen over and over again. But let me just point out real quickly uh, at the very end of the book of Ruth, uh, how we, we can see a, an overall picture of this. If you want to turn to chapter 4, starting with the 18th verse. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abimadab. And Abimadab fathered Nashon. And Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, 
and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, one might for a moment say, what has that got to do with Ruth? Let me show you. In the book of Matthew, Matthew starts out in chapter 1 with the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm not going to read the whole one, but I'm going to pick it up where uh, it seems to be pick up right here. And so chapter 1, verse 4 of, of, of Matthew, it says, And Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of uh, Salmon, and Salmon, here we are, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Then it goes on, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Notice that Rahab and Ruth are both mentioned in this genealogy, where normally it's just the father has a son, and the son has another son, and it goes on that way. And yet these two women have prominent place in the genealogy. Rahab, we know if you go back into the, uh, and read through the, the Scriptures, you find that she was a harlot, uh, and yet she is redeemed and brought into the lineage of Christ. What an honor. Ruth, a Moabite, an enemy of God by birth, is redeemed and brought into the lineage of Christ. What a powerful picture of seeing, again, that stream. Ruth is in the lineage of Christ. She marries Boaz, which is a whole story that we're going to get into, which is what this book is really all about. Naomi can't see this now. But I think that as it goes through, she's going to see how God's hand has moved. I was thinking as I looked at this, you know, what has impacted Naomi's life. And I thought of it, you know, very seriously as we look around in our lives, the kinds of things that have impacted our lives or can impact our lives. And I just made a quick little list here. I said weather, the economy, health. All of these things can impact and change radically our lives. And certainly under the, the, the area of health, we could have a pandemic. And it could change and alter the course of our life. Certainly what we are seeing around us today with this uh, COVID-19 virus, it's definitely changed the, the things around us. It's changed our lives. And it's probably changed the way we're going to come back to as people are looking for coming back to normal uh, we're beginning to hear the phrase, a new normal, a new way of, of interacting with each other to prevent these kinds of, of, of uh, viruses, these kinds of, of, of almost like a plague from going at us. And so we, we, even if we are in the center of God's will, as long as we are in this world, things will have an effect on us and change the directions of our paths. A famine changed the direction of Abimelech and Naomi and her sons. In the process of that, it took Abimelech's life, her son's lives, and God's hand, moving and bringing a blessing back on Israel, returns her to Israel. I would... Uh, like to, to read to you uh, in a sense of closing uh, this message, this particular message, uh, from uh, a book entitled Faithful God. 
Uh, it's a book authored by Sinclair uh, Ferguson, uh, and uh, it's a book that uh, is all about the story of Ruth. And on page 35 of this book, uh, it, it discusses some of what we've been talking about. They, referring to Naomi and Ruth, arrive in Bethlehem as, they bear, as, as the barley harvest is beginning. Now that's in verse 22. So let's read that. It says, So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now remember, when they left, it was a famine. Now there's a harvest. They arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest is beginning. This is not merely a statement about the time of year. Ruth chapter 1 opened with a famine beginning. uh, uh, beginning. It now closes with a harvest beginning. Get the message? The physical famine also marked a time of spiritual famine in Naomi's life. When we are told that the harvest time is now beginning, are we being given a hint that we are also on the verge of a spiritual harvest of God's grace in Naomi and Ruth? Having, have plowing and sowing given way to reaping? There are also hints that God's work is much broader than the work He is doing in Naomi and Ruth. Their return seems to have acted as a catalyst for new spiritual stirrings in Bethlehem. The whole town is speaking about them. Is this Naomi? What's changed her? And again, we see initially she's at a point of bitterness because of what she's lost. But I really believe that you'll see as we conclude and go through this that she'll reclaim her name, Naomi, what is pleasant. This is going to be a fun study together. I'm looking forward to it. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You. We ask, Lord, that as we continue to share in Your Word, as we've shared tonight, we, uh, this morning, <laughs> we ask, Lord, that You would uh, open our hearts and our minds uh, to receive, as we go through this, the awesomeness of who You are and how Your whole plan is to fit into this picture of the scarlet thread to bring salvation to your children and eternal life to all who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Christ and that you rose him from the dead. What a powerful story the, the, the life of Ruth is. And as we get into next week and looking at, at Ruth and as she meets Boaz and all that's around that, we realize that this is a, a story ultimately revealing you to us, the Christ of all, of, of all salvation, the Christ of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We thank You for the opportunity to come to Your Word. Be with us as we go through this next week. And we pray a blessing over all who are uh, you know, having such different things going on in their life, and, but a special prayer to all who are suffering the, the, the actual virus. We ask that you would break the back of this virus, bring healing, bring a vaccine uh, to this, 
through science and, and, and through all, but we don't hesitate, Lord, to ask for the miracle that You would bring an end to this virus. We confidently leave this in Your hands and ask that You would be with each of us. Open our eyes and open our, eye, uh, our ears that we might see and hear the things around us and those that we can minister to in need and share not only uh, the, the physical needs, but maybe spiritual need as well. And be prepared, as Paul tells, or Peter tells us to be, to share our testimony. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to be together and the technology that allows us to share this way. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.